Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Better Version with Aaron Siebert, and I'm your host, Aaron Siebert, and today I'm joined by my guest, Michael Thompson, a former JHS student, a former JHS filmmaking student, and my occasional film partner. How's he? How you doing, Michael? Uh, could be better. Good to hear. All right, how you doing in terms of film, though? Uh, could be better. I, I, I watch The Little Things and Run, Hide, Fight in the same week. So I, I also watched Run, Hide, Fight, but I, I watched it illegally. How did you watch that? Oh, also a quick thing. Um, Run, Hide, Fight is a Daily Wire film. Uh, we will not be tackling politics, but that's not even the subject of this podcast, but I just quickly want to say Run, Hide, Fight is a film by Daily Wire and it exists. Please watch it. It's it's a very it's a meta film because it activated my fight or flight when I was <laughs> it was so bad it activated my fight or flight. No, and I chose to run, hide, and fight. <laughs> another in other news, currently we are we're we're kind of in the middle of this HBO Max theater situation. And for me it's interesting because yesterday you were telling me how it's in the choice of the consumer, which I completely agree with, but I stand by, um, I'm also like, the uh, part, part of the cinema thing, there's like that, people on Twitter, I don't like how people are like, Team Scorsese, there shouldn't be a team thing, just like, like, I'm Team Scorsese, who's, who's anti-movie theaters? <laughs> I mean, I just think that like, they're, I mean, Scorsese, he's obviously, he's made, he's made a movie with Netflix, he did The Irishman with Netflix, and his new film, what's it, Killers of the Fire Moon? Uh, yeah, Killers of the Fire Moon. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be, and Jesse Plemons is the lead. Really? Um, yeah. Isn't De Niro in there also? Yeah, De Niro's it's, it's, it's in like, it's, it's like yeah, a old school Scorsese. It's like, yeah, it's a well, Scorsese. Um, and that's going to be on Apple. It's going to be on Apple it TV. It is. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't hear it. And so Scorsese is a very, he's he's a classic director. It's, it's hilarious because I usually, I feel like the older people are the ones that like care less. Like you hear Paul Thomas Anderson, you hear Quentin Tarantino, Nolan. and you hear Christopher Nolan always talking about, you know, film projection, using film instead of digital cameras and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But they're the people who started in the 90s. And yeah. then you have it to where Roger Deakins, who's been a uh, been around for a mm -hmm. while. And you have Martin Scorsese, which I think, does Martin Scorsese even have a preference? Does he shoot no, on no, digital it, or it, film? No, no, like he, no, he shot on, he, he never talked about, he just, he just cares about, you know, cinema, as in like the art of cinema being held up. He just, but in terms of new techniques, you're right, like, they're always, they're always talking, they're always like adapting. There's that, um, you know the director, Mikhail Hanukkah? Yeah. His, his, um, that, that is an Austrian, uh, French director. He, uh, made a film called Happy End a couple of years ago, and it was very new. Like, there, there was a bunch of iPhone stuff in it. It was, um, there was new techniques. I'm pretty sure it was even shot on digital, and he, that man's like in his 70s at this yeah. point, and he's been around for a, he's been around, he's been around the block as well. Heck, even like people like Steven Spielberg, um, Steven Spielberg had to have a Netflix moment where he was kind of talking about that, but at the same time, He's also like getting his. He's also they're all adapting to new stuff. And it's people like yeah, Tarantino and like uh, Tarantino's not Tarantino's not like anti like Netflix or anything. Yeah. But you know they. I'm not. I'm not even critiquing Nolan for like feeling this way. It's just um, it is kind of interesting to like double that like well, compare it. Real quick, just to say Spielberg. What do you? Spielberg was also one of the people. He's like actually one of the people who's been around for a while, and he also still kind of like trash talk or not trash talks but he famously in 2018 when roma was up for best picture mm -hmm. he was saying that he didn't want roma to yeah, win which I thought was because fun. he he thought it was more of a tv movie which it should be like a uh, 
like uh, anything that's mm-hmm. streaming and not going into theaters should be for an Emmy, should be nominated for an Emmy as like a TV movie rather than an Which Oscar. I think is crazy. I think if it's a if it's a film that's you know made like by like a it's it's a major studio film. And I'm not like because there's definitely a difference between something like Roma and something like a sci-fi original yeah. movie or like an AMC original movie. So yeah, um, it's interesting. But where I currently stand on it. Um, I love movie theaters. Right. I, I think going to the movie theater is just a better experience overall every time. Yeah. But I have nothing against streaming. Like I think that doing it on both currently is a good thing for where we are currently. But I do stand by um, it is in the ground of the consumer. Whatever we like more mm-hmm. is what we're going to do. Because as you said, we're like, because Michael told me yesterday, at, at the end of the day, people like to say that they are they, they love the cinema. But when they were, they were actually per- like the cinema. Like, you love the cinema if you actually go out there and yeah. you prefer seeing it in the theater every time instead of just, like, choosing to do it streaming. And apparently, I love the cinema because yeah. I watch the little things in theaters, <laughs> which leads us into our main discussion. Okay, so... This year, 2021, a film by John Hancock was released called The Little Things, starring Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto. Back in 1995, famous director David Fincher made a film called Seven, uh, something I'm sure many of us have heard about and many of us have seen. And there's just there, there, there's a selected bit of some similarities we can find between these films. Number one, they're both about um, uh, two detectives, one, one, one an older man uh, on the grounds of retirement and, and, and a younger man that just came in, both the detectives trying to figure out, trying to find a um, serial killer that's been targeting, that's been targeting people for a while now. And it just and they can and both of them with their uh, own past and their own families, especially especially the old, especially the older one, his in their opinion on what this serial killer is doing. So they and every and when you do watch them, I don't um I don't we'll get into spoilers later on, but the actual the the endings there's kind of a certain um like beats that the films like to hit hit a lot. Yeah, they're pretty similar. Yeah, so that's why we're here to compare the old the, the, this newer one. And in the '90s Fincher film, and uh, see what do we like better? And it's a bold move, Aaron Siebert, to 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 straight out of the gate say the little things is a better movie than Seven. <laughs> it's a bold move, but I I have to respect it. Oh yeah, uh, I don't I don't know if you ever seen this this guy Fincher. Um, he's made he's made he's made some pretty bad stuff in the past. Uh, yeah, the Social Network. Uh, Who were, cares about Facebook, bro? Zodiac that man killed people like in the '60s. Who cares? <laughs> in the <laughs> '60s, who cares anymore? <laughs> it's, it's so out of date, but. No, Fincher is, um, he's, he's a super talented director. I'd say one of the best working since the 90s to this point on. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're a pretty big Fincher fan, aren't you? Yeah, he's he's probably my favorite visual director mm-hmm. out of like anybody. Like he, no matter what cinematographer he works with, uh, for like the social network and on, except Mank, or I think it was the social network, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl, he worked with... Uh, Jeff Cronenworth, which is the son of God, I don't remember his name, but he's the son of the cinematographer who worked on Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. So yeah, and it's but no matter yeah. what cinematographer he works with, his visual style always mm-hmm. remains the same. Even when you look at his TV shows, House of Cards and Mindhunter, Mindhunter it, when it goes to different directors, at least in Mindhunter, I haven't mm-hmm. seen House of Cards. His visual style remains the same. And it's it's his visual style is connected with the way he tells stories, and he's he's I feel like even at his worst, 
He's such a massive. He's an incredibly hands-on director when he's making on set. Whenever, whenever I'm hearing commentary that he does, he's always talking about exactly how he got these certain shots and, and what he himself did to get them. Because he's a very like people describe him as a bully that you want on your side on set. Because he, he's going to make the film that he wants to make. And what I really respect about is that he's he's a few he's he's a director that it's kind of a weird thing of this like he has no writing credits on any of his yeah. films, but he. Every single time you watch it, it's like he yeah. understands the script so perfectly because the because the way he makes the film and the way the film is written work together perfectly. Yeah, so. he d- he doesn't make a film every year, so mm-hmm. it's very obvious. You know, like Seven in '95, Fight Club in '99, uh, Panic Room in 2002. It's like he 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 takes gaps and he finds his project. His last project before Mank was Gone Girl, which was six years ago. Mm-hmm. He he takes his time to find projects that he likes, but. To go back to what you were saying about, like, you know, the, the director who would, you know, fight to get what he wants. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think he's a person who's like, we're going to keep working until I get what I want. He takes, he does upwards of 70 takes mm-hmm. for his for certain scenes. And he does that not to find what he wants, but what to, like, not to find what he thinks is right for the film, but to find what is right for the film because mm-hmm. he saves a lot of stuff for the edit. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so he takes the time to, you know, find, for the film to find, for the actors to find uh, what they need to be. And he may not even know, but he, the, he'll the see in the edit. What he wants most is the best film, yeah. which is something that's really respectable. And if I, I, am, um, I would for that. Then, then there's John Lee Hancock. <laughs> Uh, I would like to preface this. I, um, I do not dislike John Lee Hancock. I like to preface this. I do dislike John Lee Hancock. <laughs> There's the, the, I'm not ass. Films like The Blind Side and Saving Mr. Banks. I think there is definitely a place for those types of films. They they're 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 um, warm. He he kind of he understands uh, how to make those films fairly well. That but at the end of it, you kind of um, you feel nice. I I watched warm The Balancer. And he's um he he does it. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of the best way to compliment this man. He's not an incompetent director, is what I'm saying. He can make a solid film. My problem is he's just a very standard studio yeah. director, and every time he tries to kind of push out and do something on his own, which is what we saw here, and which is what we saw in his in when he wrote Snow White and the Huntsman, which people forget about, is that he's kind of struggles sometimes and. And a film that I liked from him is called The Founder. I, re- I actually enjoyed that film. But he didn't write that one. Mm-hmm. And the script right. is the entire reason I liked that film because he kind of, his direction was about as bland as you'd probably come. And so we get this film called The Little Things, which we'll get into why we prefer Seven. You prefer Seven, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I prefer Seven. Do I? But we see a film that's it's a, it's about, it, it's longer than most of his other films. He has. He's got a writing yeah, it's credit. Pretty long. He's got a writing credit. It feels pretty long. He's got <laughs> it a feels write- really long. <laughs> it feels a lot longer than it probably is. So he's got a writing credit. He's got directing credit, and it's a film that he seems very proud of because he he, he he pushed right. it out there for Golden Globes. He pushed it out there for HBO he, Max. He succeeded. Theaters. He he's getting out there. It was nominated for Golden Globe. So it's a film that he actually tried for and. It just happened to have some similarities to Seven, and I think Seven's kind of an example of how you can do a film like this a lot, lot better. So I just, I just want to say, so you said that you liked The Founder, mm-hmm. and of, because of the script, not because of the direction. I, I remember 
uh, and Michael Kenya. I remember watching that movie. I didn't finish it. I got like 30 minutes or 40 minutes into it. And I was intrigued, but I just like, you know, I, I, I didn't really care for it. And I was, I don't remember why I stopped watching, but I did. Um, I just felt it's something that you notice with Fincher is that whenever Fincher does a scene, he does everything he can to make that scene as not necessarily serious as possible, but dramatic and interesting as po- as it can be, as intriguing as it can be. He wants you to be interested in what is happening while also intriguing you as to what can happen. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like I could have been pulled in more with the founder, uh, you know, it had it been directed by somebody yeah. like Fincher, had it had that dramatic, you know, tension or that dramatic pull that like makes me care about what's happening because we're seeing the founder is about the creation of McDonald's yeah, and, Croc's entire journey. And, and McDonald's is it's such a big thing it could interest me so much like how David Fincher did with the social network but I, I I felt it didn't it was lacking the same way the little things lacking I think a very good example that in the founder there's a part where the only way they could have made this certain scene is like it's when the McDonald's brothers are describing their process right. so we get in so we get some shots on the backstories from them and we get shots of how they're doing it and they do it in a montage way and they do it in a fast way and it's supposed to be energetic and kind of have a lot of beats but also I think that the way that like Johnny Hancock directed his actors, they didn't seem very into it the entire time. <laughs> there was, it felt like they were just moving, but the blocking never felt like it was incredibly like direct. It, every shot was right. about as dull as it can come. And it's funny because like that's a scene that could have been really, really fun if somebody that like had a little bit more um, enthusiasm for the project probably. Maybe he's not even enthusiasm because I do think he had enthusiasm for the little things. I just don't know if he's... No, no, I just don't know if he's built for it. So I'd like to get into number the first comparison between them, which is the technical aspects of the film. Technical aspects including uh, things along like cinematography, editing, and I think we should put in the sound design. And with sound design, we can get the music in there also. So I'd like to start this off with, um, I think that David Fincher in Seven is a testament to something that always annoys me, being it being done right. I think that I'm constantly annoyed by super green, greenish yellow color palettes yes. and so many things. And oftentimes it's like, it, it wasn't even necessary, but some for something like Seven, which could be a prime example of that, it's green, it's yellow in almost every single shot, even in places where it wasn't even meant to be grimy. And there's certain types of times where like, it did get a little bit much for me, but most of the time I, I, I was completely fine. Because there was composition that, that made sense the entire time. It, it, it had an appropriate amount of, like, um, it, it, it fit the atmosphere more often than it didn't, especially in the type of, like, gritty new, uh, the gritty city that they're working with there. Right. He put a lot of work into it, and it never went, like, um, so the, the fact that he was able to get me to enjoy something green and yellow constantly, which he's done it over his whole career. Yeah. The social network did that, too. Zodiac did that, too. Growth, uh, Growth Dragon Tattoo did, did that. And I'm always into it because he understands that there's so much more to directing that I mean to cinematography than just like the 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 L the L yeah. the L the L the L U I that he puts over it. That's like I think that's the thing is that you know I feel like it's just one of those things where it's like he doesn't 
he doesn't let it's not like a color like a tint that he puts mm-hmm. over the movie you know there's a movie that i that i really like that i'll defend it's directed by gore verbinski called the ring mm-hmm. and i like that movie i thought the cinematography was good at times but it has this green tint over the movie and what that green tint does is that it takes out the color i had the same issue in the cure for being well the fire yeah it's it, it takes out the color rather than seven is kind of showing mm-hmm. the world a uh, colorless world. Because when they still go outside in seven, it's not all like when it's raining and they yeah. go outside, it's still blue. It's yeah. not like forcing the green in there. It's just when it is like that, it's really it, it's it's like um it's it's making it it's, it's over proportionalizing it to just show you the kind of world that they're actually living in. And let's compare this to the little things. The cinematography in the little things was stock fine. It was <laughs> it. I, I'm even struggling to think about that. That's it. That's exactly the time. I, yeah, it, the I think we should talk about the cinematography at least for the little things, the cinematography and the editing as well, like yeah, because they work hand in hand. Issue with the this. editing, it's just it just made me. It, this is a great. The little things is a great film to watch to give you perspective as to how good a movie Seven is or how good a director Fincher is because it's 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 so. It takes all like the te- every time the film cuts or every shot it shows you or the way that it's blocked. It's mm-hmm. it just you could feel just the tension, any bit of drama just dissipate mm-hmm. when it's you know. But the, in the little things, I I I, I watched it with my friend Lucas. I moved over in my seat and I whispered in his ear. This is giving me a headache right now. It's every single one of these edits. I don't need to see someone just because they're talking, especially when there's a right. whole group of people. It would always move and move. And the worst part is the shots it moves to aren't even that interesting. <laughs> right. they, they, we have so many shots of them just standing on a bridge together. But there's, the, there's a shot where there, it could have been great. It's, it's uh, where Denzel Washington's character and Ryan Maddox's character are sitting on a bridge overlooking like a, a marsh grassy area. When and there's like and there's like police like flashlights walking around in there. Oh, are, is that when? That, that's later on. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think I know. Something like this could be interesting. There's lights in a grassy field while they stand over a bridge, but there was nothing interesting about the composition of this whole thing. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I would blame the cinematographer John Schwartzman or Johnny Hancock because I look over uh, John Schwartzman's filmography. He's had some well shot films. Uh, sea really? Biscuit was a noticeably really well shot film, and I don't. And but then again, this is also the same guy that shot The Founder. I think that I think which that, is also directed by John Hancock. Which yeah, John Hancock. I think that when they, I think I just think that John Hancock isn't asking very much of the cinematographer. Right. I think that he's if you get the get the shot, move yeah, on. that's you're not playing with the camera. It feels like it feels like stock. It feels like kind of mm-hmm. like newsroom. Like oh, we have to get this mm-hmm. and then, um, but to go back to the cinematography for Seven and how you know blue and gray it's raining yeah in every scene it's raining all throughout mm-hmm. except this is in for the rest of the film it's bright and it's sunny and we're seeing almost kind of like a we're seeing a blade runner-esque world mm-hmm. in the movie throughout where it's you know buildings trash all over the streets everything is bad and the second kevin spacey comes on screen mm-hmm. he it shows the shot the first scene that we see sun we see the cab where Kevin Spacey pulls in. Mm-hmm. And I just found it really interesting that that's when they chose to finally take the take the uh, the rain away. And the, the, the final 
battle or the climax of the movie is done at a uh, in a it's like an electrical like, grid area. Yeah, it's an electrical it's, it's, grid, it's but like it's a high wire spot. Yeah, but it's also like it's 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 in the wilderness, not in the wilderness, but it's you know like it's out there. Mm-hmm. It's you're away from the buildings, and I kind of felt like that also like was speaking towards like the kind of story that they wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. The, this movie kind of. I don't know if I want to get because I kind of want to like talk about the story for a bit. Or do you want to wait until I um I say let's put the cap right here. We're gonna talk spoilers right now. You want to talk spoilers? I want to talk. I want to talk spoilers right here about how the cinematography is different for this kind of stuff. Well, I, 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 I think I think that in this in like okay so spoiler in seven Kevin Spacey chops chops off Brad Pitt's wife's head and sh- and puts it in a box. Who plays his wife? Uh, uh Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, and she's and she's very good. In it. Yeah, she's good. Everybody's good. Yeah, it, it's good. Sure. So, um, I think that he what Michael said there is right. I I actually I actually haven't even realized that. Yeah, you're right. That there wasn't any sunlight until that yeah. ended there, which is very interesting. So, but even in that one shot where the light came in, that's like the end of a shot where they're walking yeah. in there, they get in together, and then it pulls up. I think that the cinematography, there's so much blocking or like every yeah. single car that goes by in that film. Fits the scene. There's a part in there like where um they discover like um what what one of the corpses and and it follows them down um it, it's like it's it's the it's the lust victim. It follows them down there. We go into a red scenario. Every single I I like went by every, oh, yeah, sing, yeah. every single background actor was acting. Yeah. Every single mm-hmm. background actor was trying. And I what I remember the little things. There's a part in there where they all discover like um it's when Denzel first joins up with them. They find like the bodies in the apartment. No, the, a few people didn't look disgusting. They, they just walked in there, straight faced, and right. there's like there's oh, like a yeah, corpse the right there. Yeah, right. In Fincher's films, the blocking, the directing, it all works in synchronous energy, and something like little and something like the little things felt felt phoned in, which I think because I, I put blocking under technical aspects also because mm-hmm. that's very because that's that's an important part of the cinematography because that's what we're seeing within the frame. So, yeah. Um. It's. It's just, it feels like, like, I, I think I've talked to, I've said this to you before where, you know, like a movie is made up, it, it's made up of scenes mm-hmm. and your scenes have to be good mm-hmm. and your scenes. And it's like Fincher, every scene's important to him. Every shot is important to him. Every mm-hmm. performance is important to him. And when you say, oh, this doesn't matter. We'll just shoot this. And then it, it, it adds up. Mm-hmm. It adds like this this unimportant thing adds up to this unimportant thing to the point where your entire scene is unimportant to where your entire opening is unimportant and your unimportant opening leads to your unimportant, you know, second act and blah, 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 to where you come out of the movie feeling like, what was the point of me watching this movie? And that's Um, what I felt like the little things. Yeah. But there's the little thing is two hours. I could, I could think of 30 minutes to chop out of that. It's just, there's so much dead space in there. There's a, there's a, there's two scenes that I really wanted to compare uh, between seven and the little things. So the opening scene of the little things where the woman is being chased uh, after she gets out of her car around the gas station by the killer. Mm-hmm. And the scene the scene in Zodiac when Brad Pitt is chasing the killer around the building. Yeah, I, yeah seven. You said seven. Yeah, oh yeah, in, in seven. So in seven, um seven was made in ninety-five. Mm-hmm. Every single shot looks better than the film <laughs> that we're at that we're we're doing now. And the camera should theoretically be better. It's right? digital, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like digital now and it should look a little better. It never does. So the two scenes, there's a scene in the opening scene of the little things is this woman who's like she's being followed by this guy in his car and she gets out and runs around tries to run away from him around this gas station 
and this could look really really nice it's very re it was very reminiscent of texas chainsaw massacre yeah. going into there but the way he chose to do it i'm just thinking like yeah i'm the way that the, there's no panic to her running right. the scene the scene in seven where brad pitt's running it's like one of the first moments of like pure shaky cam we fooled we, we fall mm -hmm. down the editing gets so much stronger the the, the 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 chase yeah. go the chase goes places too. They start in the hallway. He shoots he shoots him down like in a different room. He like runs down an alleyway with people like from above watching right. because there's like there's there's elements of blocking in the scene in in the little things. She just runs out, gets out of her car for some reason, <laughs> hides behind a thing, runs out. Gets a, gets a gets a truck driver's attention, and this is the opening scene, and it barely plays back into it. By the way, yeah. Um, and, it's, and the locations aren't even an issue there. Is the fact that every single yeah. shot is either a medium, or head or straight on. Yeah. But it, there's up. never the editing was not different for the what they were doing there at all. Yeah. Um. This film kind of felt similar to me to um. What's this film? <laughs> the, the little thing. Sorry. It felt similar to the devil all the time for me uh -huh. where i literally felt like there's more so with the devil all the time there's a great movie in there if somebody else just edited it <laughs> like i swear if somebody else edited it edit edited it it would be better but um i remember when i first saw that scene the chase scene in seven and i was younger and i didn't really care as much about um about you know movies then but i remember seeing that scene i'm like that's how you do a chase scene because I'm watching NCIS, I'm watching Criminal Minds, I'm watching all these shows. They're they're shooting somebody every three mm -hmm. seconds, right? And so in this movie, you know, you have Morgan Freeman say, I've never shot a gun before. You have these people talk about it. It's slow and it's methodical. And then when it's it's not just the fact of the way that the scene was played out, it's the way it fit into the story mm -hmm. that it made it so much more impactful. The gunshots pop. They're shaky, a great use of shaky cam, which mm -hmm. shaky cam is usually, but it's it's used to put you in the headspace of the characters. It's just so good. Yeah, and, um, like, and Kevin Spacey's character gets shot and he's limping for the rest of the film, too. It's consistent mm -hmm. with everything. Yeah. And it's like Brad Pitt gets hit in the head and knocked out in that. He carries this with him for the rest of the, for the, rest yeah. of the film. I never, and like, um, it's consistent with it. I, and there's no. And the, the characters in the little things, they never felt like they were, like, ever... What's, what, I'm trying to think of a part where, like, they were ever, like, were going through a trial or a tribulation that wasn't, like, that wasn't, like, another repetitive interrogation scene or where we get to the end when they're actually... I don't, I want to talk about... I'll talk about the ending in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the story aspect because there's a lot of things I have to say about that. But yeah. I just think that... Um, Man, I wanna, but besides like the visual presentation, because there's no comparison that Fincher did visuals <laughs> better than John Lee Hancock. Well, yeah, I don't want to compare like even my favorite filmmakers, even your favorite filmmakers. I feel like Fincher just like outmatches a lot of them in a lot of areas. But it's 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 less me comparing and saying who's better because Fincher is going to be better. But I, I don't like doing that. It's but it's it's it's. It's why. It's yeah, why it's better. Here's how you can do. Fincher has lessons on like every time you hear an interview, every time you have his commentary, he gives you reasons in behind mm -hmm. to do this. But another thing that uh, I think is kind of underrated for certain for a lot of Fincher films is I think I think his his uh, sound mixing, sound editing mm -hmm. is very very solid. I think that this was um, better than Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the sound mixing is somehow better than the sound mixing in things like Tenet. My 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 Tenet review is on the Trojan Torch, by the way. But um, so there's <laughs> there, so there's a 
and all throughout um the Fincher's entire filmography, he, the sound mixing is always is always consistent. Like wait, and there's a there's a scene where there's two characters talking in the social network, and they actually have to raise their voices because they're in a club. Yeah. There's part there when when the two characters are eating in a there's a scene where Morgan Freeman is talking to Gwen Paltrow in a diner in Seven. Mm-hmm. You can hear some muttering in the background. You can hear some like you can hear actual like you can hear, like you can even like. Just kind of hear like the the intricacies of like Grant Crouch's performance as you can hear like a little bit yeah. more sadness in there. And every time they're at a bar together, thirtieth take. <laughs> Probably every every single time where the, there's background, there's background noise. It's background noise. Yeah. Or even like um during the ending of of Seven, there, there's like this the rising, there's yeah. this rising helicopter noise, which just makes you, which like really just starts like even like making the dramatic tension go a lot bigger. And like even like the sound design of like things that aren't real, like the the beat as it gets bigger every time he like looks down, he's about to shoot him. It's all it's all very it's all very consistent. It, 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 like it's not just consistent. It's like actually works alongside the visuals every yeah, single time. Yeah, I think um, I think you guys should check out, uh, or you should check out too. I don't know if you've seen it. There's a director called David F. Sandberg. He has yeah. a YouTube channel called mm-hmm. Pony Smasher, and he made a video. I think it may have been, yeah, I think it was specifically, I think he's made a couple videos about this, mm-hmm. talking about how important audio is. David Samber oh, is the director of Lights Out, Annabelle, Annabelle Come, Cre- comes, Annabelle Creation, Creation, and Shazam. And Shazam. It was, was it Annabelle Creation? Yeah, it was Creation. Okay, then yeah, he's, um, I'm he's, sure. yeah, he's a director that like got big, he's, he's from, he's from like, a, he's from one of the Nordic countries, like probably Sweden or something. Yeah. He, he got big, and he was a YouTube, he had, he had a chance before that. He's an actual Hollywood director yeah, exactly. that gives tips and like still makes short yeah, films. Yeah, he has he he made a short film called Lights Out, mm-hmm. and then people I think Blumhouse saw that and they were like, "Hey, that was yeah. pretty good. You want to make a feature film?" Which and then they had him direct. Which is such an inspiration. That's so yeah, it, that's that. so inspirational. But um, so yeah, he he talked about like uh, the audience, even our our film, the the film teacher at G, at Jinx High at Jinx High School, um, Mr. Rayfield. I'm sure a lot of people have seen this uh, have met him. He opened up, um, but I remember it was uh, it was intro to filmmaking, and he uh, he said he asked us, "What is more important, visuals in filmmaking or audio in filmmaking?" And I said, "Visuals, of course." And he actually made a really solid case for why audio was more important. Audio can take you out. Audio can mm-hmm. transcend. Audio, if if you if you have bad visuals. Okay, the script can make up for that. Yeah. If you have bad audio, right. the script cannot make up for that. That's true. Um... And, yeah, and so and I think of something like the little things isn't incompetent at this stu- at, at something like this, but it's, it it's just like, cares less. It just there's nothing that elevates my yeah. biggest criticism with the little things overall. There's nothing that elevates it. There's no reason that you should ever want to rewatch it. There's nothing that's gonna pull you back and say, "Ooh, that interested me. I'm really looking forward to seeing that again. <laughs> I'm gonna see it in the theater a second time." <laughs> An so, IMAX, mm-hmm. and but the there's not it's not like and the only thing is incompetent, that, but there is something that so, someone like Fincher does do a lot better, and that's always the score. The score, score. the score for the little things was so boring, yeah. so bland. I okay, to the score it, was wow. the score was done by Thomas Newman. I have a love hate relationship for Thomas Newman. For the little he's, things, uh, yeah, for the yeah. little things, and he he's worked with um. Sam Mendez, who's done Skyfall in 1917. His 1917 score was okay, or was I, good. I, I actually really like the score. I just don't like how they used it in the yeah, film. Yeah. Um, oh, his, he did the Wally score, right? That was a beautiful score. Yeah, he's done some good things, but he's done a lot of bad things. 
the score for the little things was I can't even remember it, and I think my mind's just mentally blocked it out. No, but the was, score, okay, no, it was inappropriate. Remember, remember the ending where okay, so so in the ending, as he's walking to his trailer, we just oh, play something yeah. super dark. The music's like this we, this weird drum jazz infused orchestra thing, and that's kind of upbeat, and it doesn't fit even a little bit. And it's bland at the same time. I remember how it made me feel, yeah. yet I still don't even remember the score. Yeah, um, as opposed to as opposed Seven. Wait, actually, I just want to say, that really shows you how much music, because I feel like I care more about music and film than a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. And it just shows you how it could be used, because like you said, it felt inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, had they used darker music, you would have really felt the impact of the ending but they use lighter hearted music because they wanted you to feel that the ending was mm-hmm. lighthearted and you were supposed to be happy about it. And it shows how it can it can impact and it can change. And the composer for seven, I have Howard I Howard Shore. Shore. I and have if, no I have no I do not have a love hate relationship with this man. If, I love this if man. You, if you don't know who Howard Shore is, he is the man who did the Lord of the Rings score, which is arguably the best score ever like created. The collection of scores he did for those films, and even I have so much problem with the Hobbits. The music's yeah, not one the, of them. Yeah. The music he did, he, he he nobody turned like Tolkien's universe into like a yeah. giant symphony better than Howard Shore. He also did an amazing score for The Aviator that I think is super mm-hmm. underrated. So I and Howard Shore in Seven I think shows such good vers- versatility because yeah. it's so different. Yeah. Than the than Lord of the Rings, but it's it, it's appropriate every single time. It's it's often um it, it's it's a little small. It's definitely smaller than something like a Lord of the Rings. Yeah. The music in Seven, it's never in your face, but it's always in the back and it's always appropriate. And when, and yeah, it's always appropriate. And during the big action scenes, mm-hmm. it is kind of in your face. And it really, enha- it's one of the things, It it's the little things. <laughs> uh, 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 end the podcast, everybody. We got it in there. It's, it's, it's one of the things about David Fincher is that everything, like I said, everything matters to him, including the score. Um, you know, and how that builds and how that builds tension when they're going to raid, when they're going to get the the guy. Which one was he? Which kill was he? Uh, when they're when they were, I mean, the, the one the one I didn't even tell you who I was talking about. The yeah, one with so, the the one with the trees, the the things hanging from the ceiling. The things, the, oh, oh, yeah. sloth. Sloth. Yeah. yeah. Um, when that music was blaring, mm-hmm. it was blaring in a good way. It was mm-hmm. like it really made you feel like what was about to happen and what eventually did happen was mm-hmm. I don't want to say epic, but it was more grand. It was like it made it more it made it more grandiose, but it was never like it was it was it was the type of in your face where it wasn't really in your face, but it was definitely like pushing you somewhere. Yeah. And I think that was a yeah, I agree. That was a great Howard George did a fantastic yeah. job. Thomas Newman slept. That, that, that's... <laughs> he was sleeping during that score. <laughs> no, it, it understands where he was sleeping. He was watching the little things while trying to get inspiration. <gasps> oh my god, I can't even blame him. Uh, so, I think that um, in terms of technical aspects, there's no competition overall. Fincher did better, but there is something that the little things should have done better, but didn't. And I and this leads into the next chapter, the performances. Ooh. Oh, the performances! I thought you were gonna go to. There the is no, there is absolutely no excuse for Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto <laughs> doing worse. No, Brad Pitt and Morgan Jer- Freeman are both great. Yeah, but like compared to just like compared to them, they're, they're like the one should at least like they should be at least equal. They should yeah. be at the very 
least like on the same level. Jared Leto gave a performance. He, he, it was it wasn't bad. He, no, it wasn't bad. He was in a different movie than the other two. Yeah. He, <laughs> You're right. Denzel Washington and Rami Malek, they think they were making some film. I swear that was like for like network television. <laughs> Jared Leto was putting his heart and soul into it and it felt incredibly inappropriate. Jared Leto is like is somebody that like I feel like he's pretentious and he like even if like, you should have seen the interview, like, one of the interviews that he did for the little things. He just felt like he didn't want to be there. He seemed like he thought he was so much more important. But it's like, despite how I feel about Jared Leto, he's, like, he's a great actor. He is, he is. And Dallas Buyers Club, he was fantastic. Oh, my, Re- yeah. that's Re- Requiem he was for a great. Dream, he was all, he was really, really solid, too. I have Suicide Squad. People, people... If he didn't do Suicide Squad, people that's, would still hold him to yeah, a super high really, level. Yeah. It's I don't blame him for that. Really, you couldn't have gotten a good Joker. And it's out of that. Jared Leto. I mean, no, he is kind of blamed for it. Yeah. So Jared Leto also was in. Uh, he was in Fight Club, which was another Fincher yeah. film that came out. It was Fincher's next film after Seven, mm-hmm. and he was in there for a little bit. He did. He did a good. He did. He was in there for a little but, bit, you know. There's not much like, you could say. Like, somebody like Denzel Washington is one of the best actors to work in the industry. Somebody yeah. like Denzel Washington. Bring such like a new level to it, whether, whether it's like whether it's uh, whether it's fences or Training Day. He always like brings something to it. That's Was like, fences the last good film that he's done? Uh, I don't know. Um, I know like he, he did he did he did fences. He did oh he he did a movie called Roman J. Like um he did a movie called like it was like Roman J Israel, and it was one of the most boring movies I've ever seen. And I knew I want to put this perspective. I watched all of Ignar Bergman's scenes from a marriage completely invested. I watched Lawrence of Arabia. I watched these films that are four hours. I love them all the time. A seven hour war and peace film. Loved it. Roman J. Israel was about two hours and it felt like I spent my whole day on did it. Did you watch which version of scenes from a marriage did you watch? Did the, you long watch? the long one. The long one. <laughs> and I don't and but here's the thing, even Roman J. Israel Denzel was doing a great job. He 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 does films like The Equalizer, and he, and he's compelling. He does he does films like The Magnificent Seven, and he does a film like Flight or like The Book of Eli. It's always really really good. Right, yeah. So I I'm kind of confused on how he found a way to break his own mold and phone in a performance as much as he did in The Little Things. Because I felt I there's not one line he said where I, where I, I could like hear passion. <laughs> I don't, I just, I don't even, I, maybe it's John Lee Hancock. Maybe he's to blame. Maybe he's just like a presence. Maybe, <laughs> maybe his presence on set just makes everybody else depressed and it just brings the mood down. It's nobody like Rami Malek. I thought like he was, I, I thought was, I thought he was like an okay actor. I and then he was quite good. Mr. Robot. He's really yeah. Mr. Good. Robot. He's really good. Yeah, and Bo, and Bo, he's still really good. in Bohemian Yeah. Robot, yeah. So. And I thought that's what made me like. That's what made me realize how great of an actor he was. And then The Little Things was where I thought he was before Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> like, it was exact. It was the exact performance I'd expect out of him, like, three from three years ago. By that type of performance, you mean kind of... I, I've been saying dull so much, so I'll say, I'll say a word that's not dull, but is, Trash. A, syn- but is a synonym for dull. Uh... Uh... Vapid. Mund- mundane, vapid, dreary, drab. I'm just looking these up. He, he always had that exact same look on his face throughout the entire movie. Yeah. He, he was always just kind of like, eh, to Denzel Washington. And by eh, I mean 
hey, we're partners. They, we, we spend two hours with these two men together, and I by the end of it, I don't even know if they liked each other. <laughs> I don't even know if they had any care for each other at the end of the movie. And I, we spent two hours developing their relationship. Denzel Washington, like, met his family, I think. I think. <laughs> and it has... N- he met his wife. Yeah, he had a wife. I'll keep, like, even just thinking about the she performances is, is, like, making me bored. That's what I was literally going to say, that I was like, I want to get off this topic because I'm literally getting bored out of my mind. So let's mind compare that about... to two really good performances in Seven. Yeah. Um... Morgan Freeman is, a, is is an actor that can pretty much do most types of I'm, roles. I'm shocked by how little Morgan Freeman phones it in. Yeah, no, it's like, every, even like, it can be a film, he usually doesn't play, like, kind of, like, these really kind of jerk characters. He was, he's kind of rude in Seven, what I kind of like. He's like a, he's a detective that you, 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 you understand that his entire job's wear him down. He's extremely cynical. Right. But, like, but Seven, like, he's, he's becoming very, very cynical and dark, but, like, the character of Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow, they're like, they're like a young presence that's, like, a lot more wide-eyed Brad Pitt doesn't doesn't give in to the whole things are bad philosophy like there's a part yeah. of talking and he's kind of like motivated by Wait, this. I this think is kind of like uh, something new for him. Okay, are we gonna talk about the performances or the characters or both? I'm, I'm not informed because like this is Morgan Freeman like brought something to yeah. this role that like I could 100 percent tell from that performance because like if, if we're just writing the script this could have just been a cynical author route but you can see Morgan Freeman like growing as as it goes on and Gwyneth Paltrow wasn't even there that long but her emotion yeah. was the was always real i really like i i thought brad pitt did a really good job because i believed him it, 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 i believed his character and i believed him like what he was trying to do because you know gwyneth paltrow says that they were high school sweethearts mm-hmm. and you know you kind of assume that he's kind of this just this, this jock character in high school and then he went on and became a police officer and he's this guy who can't sit down for three seconds and mm-hmm. in, in his thoughts he's always moving he's always doing something and that's how Brad Pitt plays him. He's always moving. He's always talking. Mm-hmm. He's like, remember in the in the scene where they're at the corners and they're looking over the body yeah. and they're like, "Ladies and gentlemen, we have a murder." He says mm-hmm. that, and it's like it feel he he, he he's kind of like still a child. Yeah, you he's, know? A, he's he's a rookie. He's like he's like thirty years old, but he goes into the business like um. Uh, it's such it's such like a classic. The rookie and the old and the old detective. But this this this, this, so this felt different. It felt like a man who was like Morgan Freeman's character was legitimately like his sense of humanity was kind of destroyed. And when Brad Pitt had that every single like line did he's, he he didn't even like he brought things like I want to solve this case. Yeah. And he it, it felt so real, which just made the ending so much stronger. And the emotion that Brad Pitt brought to that scene because we everybody jokes about the what's in the box line. But Brad Pitt it sounded like yeah. actually distressed there. Like that sounds exactly like how I've heard people cry. Like it's like because when someone cries, it's not like this. Su- it's usually kind of awkward because yeah. it's somebody that's like having an emotional outburst in like a weird scenario. Especially since he's a cop in this film, is like he's showing such like harsh emotion. And Brad Pitt like is like actually Brad Pitt's like everybody. Brad Pitt's a great actor. Everybody knows who Brad Pitt is. But people think of him like some people think of him like just as a, as like this celebrity. But he is a fantastic actor. Like mm-hmm. and stuff like Twelve Monkeys and stuff like Inglorious Inglorious Bastards and like even the new uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, well, every yeah, single film he's like actually like m- all adventures m- films m- he doesn't yeah, sleep in. There's no Venture doesn't let his actors sleep. <laughs> Keep that in mind. So I just so comparing that like I think I think it has to be because a director 
a director directs the performances. Yeah, again, I just want to mention the fact that, like I said, Fincher, I don't know how much he did this earlier in his career, but at least now, you know, um, what's his face? Gary Oldman commented mm-hmm. on this, how he's he's a person who does seventy upwards of 70 takes. He does a lot of takes. And by doing so, his like and his reasoning for this is that there's different shots that you have to take in when you're editing a film. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a actor facing head on and then you have a shot from him, but then you have to do a profile shot. Um, and then in the profile shot, the actor is not giving as good of a performance. Mm-hmm. Fincher doesn't ever want that to happen. Mm-hmm. He wants his actors to give it 110% every time. That's why you believe him in every single scene, in every single shot, because Fincher will not let them suck. And their chemistry grows. That's yeah. the thing, though. Their chemistry actually moves. They have a relationship. Because we also, the, the films, uh, Seven and Little they're about the same length. Well, like, they're both like two hours, eight minutes around that. Yeah, okay. So they both, in, in the little things, Therefore, their relationship at the beginning, relationship at the end. I can't tell you what, what where, where they the checkpoints really, where they grew. You're are. really right. They really do grow in seven in just mm-hmm. comparison to not that not happening in, in the world. So it's just like I can, I can just like picture Jolly Hancock sitting there writing the script and just ah, uh, this. Is I the, can't picture the, that. The, this. this <laughs> I, I feel like it was an artificial <laughs> intelligence that wrote that, that just, script. It felt like you like um when people like talk about like uh, stuff like the hero's journey, which uh like um the the beats the, the saves the yeah. cat. It felt like he was just writing the beats that he has to hit to make it a film that people will watch. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I won't deny the little things it's, technically is a movie. John it, it, Hancock, it, it, I will keep it real. You made a movie, man. Right. That thing that thing is a collection of, 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 of pictures. That is a collection of scenes and in those scenes are shots and those shots are a collection of pictures of, of frames. frames that are coming that are coming at us. So um, I'll give them that, I think. I, um Okay, wait, what are we talking? Can we talk about characters for a sec? Okay, I say if we're, if we're gonna let's move on from performances to the script and we can start we can start the story with the characters. Okay, so I wanted to say you were talking about the bar scene nearing the end of the movie where Brad Pitt is talking about you know or like we're you know, like they're having Morgan Freeman's talking about like how how you, there's not gonna be a happy ending to this thing at all, it all goes bad. Here's how I thought okay. You wanna know what this movie reminded me of, surprisingly, when I watched it? What? No Country for Old Men. Ah, I got that too, yeah. I felt that they were, it was really, and that's why That's why I mentioned the thing with the cinematography about how, you know, when Kevin Spacey comes in and he, uh, you know, the sun finally shines. I feel like they're showing this world, you know, like it's No Country for Old Men. It's, 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 a, different, it's a different world. And here's where I feel, I feel early, in the, early on in the movie, uh, Morgan Freeman's boss comes in and he's like, you're our best detective. We need, we, we need you to stay while you're retiring. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Morgan Freeman says, um, a guy comes in and uh, mugs a guy and he stabs his eyes out. Mm-hmm. And then the boss is like, that's always been happening. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it just kind of makes me think, you know, he has this kind of like moral thing. It's like, is this world better or worse? Yeah. And w- what I felt that bar scene with Brad Pitt to me, he was talking about like Brad Pitt feels he has a very young, simplistic worldview. Like he can make a difference. Yeah, like he felt like there's good and evil. There, mm-hmm. as he calls it, there's crazies, just good people, and then there's the crazies. Mm-hmm. And what Morgan Freeman said, 
that stuck out to me is he looked at more so as not they're not crazy they're people yeah. and people become crazy but they're not monsters they're human beings that stuff happened to them horrible stuff and not excusing what they're doing of course but they're people and to act as if that we live in a world where there's good and evil mm -hmm. where evil can be eradicated it's false because it's not evil people aren't spawning you know demons aren't spawning at least what the movie's saying or what Morgan Freeman's saying is that these are this crazy people and you know there's always going to be crazy people the, in the, the world. character of Somerset is a character that is very he's like the grizzled old cop but done in a very yes. like new he's he's a grizzled detective that's like never shot a gun he's yes. never been shot yeah it's not it's not the fact he's like he's been seeing like such awful action it's the fact that like he's just seen he's seen the aftermaths of crime after crime mm -hmm. and he's uh, he probably was where uh, mills brad pitt's character was at the beginning of the film he was there at one point but at, but from where he is now he he sees the world how it is but yet when brad pitt's character mills says that i could see a little bit of like light yeah. in somerset's like i like maybe maybe we can make a difference yeah maybe we can do something and I, but then john doe comes yeah i think the telling sign of that uh the telltale sign is in the beginning of the movie after the initial opening scene in seven where he you know sees that murder or whatever that happened mm. um he goes home and he hear there's all this sound like like you're talking about like the sound design sound mixing there's all these sounds going outside outside of his apartment and then he turns on a metronome and he drown and the sound slowly drowns out and he focuses on the metronome and he goes to sleep mm -hmm. after that bar scene with Brad Pitt he turns on the metronome and it doesn't work anymore he mm -hmm. still hears the sounds and he and he stays up and it's kind of him thinking like am i wrong and it's kind of funny because it's easy to think that Brad Pitt is the star of this movie. It's mm -hmm. it's kind of Morgan Freeman is kind I of always, the star. Yeah, I always feel like um, almost all like because Morgan Freeman is the guy, the person that like technically Brad Pitt technically goes on a journey, but it's more like his journey is to strengthen Morgan Freeman's journey yeah. in a way. So I always I consider Somerset the lead character. So it's like I think I I think we might get I think there's probably a little, they're in it pretty equally, but like mm -hmm. Somerset scenes are just a little bit stronger. But there's a character I think that um. The character of John Doe played really well by Kevin Spacey. Whoa! <laughs> so you're saying he's, he's, an, he's an awful person, but to act like that makes all his performances <laughs> bad all of a sudden. <laughs> I mean, no, nah, no, nah, I, I, I forgive him. <laughs> I just want to go on a record saying I do not forgive him. <laughs> so. The character of John Doe is one that I've seen that you you could say you've seen like somebody that's um he he's like it, it, it's a, it's a it's like a religious zealot in a way but it's not like you're standard yeah. religious zealot it's a person that sees like the the flaws in humanity and wants to like make a difference but it's not the version you usually do it's it's like a per somebody who's like genuinely I'm trying to like he's genuinely like disturbed by sin. And I think that like um he's using that to like get some personal vendetta out of it. Yeah. Because like he um he 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 genuinely felt like I think he like I actually think he did feel envy towards like I think he's somebody like the my interpretation of the character is somebody who's been very like weirdly um he like he was raised up analytical in a religious household, got incredibly like and was like so if seven deadly sins are deadly, like this is like actual awful things. We got so we took it out way out of proportion. But he also has like yeah, he feels like he feels like he's doing what God is calling him. Yeah, to do. he's got like an actual person. Like I, 
he enjoyed it because like more of him just did. Yeah, that's what he. It. That's yeah, that's and I think like that's the thing is I wrote here um in my notes. John Doe believes that cops only do things that society deems okay. If society wanted cops to do horrible things, they would. Mm. He believes the only reason what he's doing is considered bad is because society says it is, while God sees his acts as righteous. I like I think he talked to uh to Brad Pitt's character about the fact that like how much Brad Pitt wanted to beat him up and whatever. Uh-huh. And, and you know, society would deem that as an okay thing to do. And I think that's what he's saying is that society is wrong and society is bad. Society, everybody, this guy is a sloth, but society doesn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. This guy is full of lust. Society doesn't do anything about it. This guy has pride. Society doesn't do anything about it. Sure. And, he, and he's saying, no, this is bad. And society doesn't dictate. And I'm going to do what society says is bad, but what I actually believe is good, which yeah. is obviously. But, but you guys to see like the, like you guys understand like why he's you know wrong about yeah. this because even using the Bible to like he's breaking so many things in the Bible doing what he's doing, <laughs> but it's like it's such a weird. He has such a interesting justification for it. While it's wrong, it's like genuinely fascinating, and it's a type of like um. One, it's it's like it's very cinematic, like the Seven Deadly Sins. Yeah, and it like a, it, it's a perfect counterbalance, like the like the world summer. It's like pulling Somerset back down to like what the world he like kind of already knew. But the funny thing about that was like Somerset was like by the end of the film, that character was like, um, "Hey, we need to." I I agree. I agree that like uh, the work the world's bad. It proved him wrong again. But he no longer went into retirement. He's like, "I'll be around and see." He's like, the world. "Is that what he was? Is that I, what you're saying?" He, I think he said like. I'll be around. He's, and but his, the final quote he reads by was, like, yeah. was it Walt Whitman or something like that? He I think wrote, it was Edgar Allan. Oh, no, it was. It, it was. Um, uh, it was. It was Hemingway, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it was. So it was Hemingway. Hemingway. So the quote uh, it was like, "The world is a beautiful place that's worth fighting for." He said, "I believe the second part. He believes in fighting for this yeah. world still. I think. I think the reason he still believes it's worth fighting for was because of what he saw Brad Pitt. That what like, someone like Brad Pitt and someone like his wife." Was that that's that's something that's worth fighting for, but it's still he still said that he like understands the evil yeah. that people like John Doe impose upon society. And I think it's I think kind of what the film is kind of trying to say is that there's like evil mm-hmm. and kind of it's not it's not a good versus evil. There's good people and then there's bad people. I think it's there's bad in everybody, and it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to eradicate that if it's not the good versus evil that people like Mills believe in. Yeah. And that, uh, and everything about the ending when it came, it's like the villain wins in this film, mm-hmm. but it kind of, it definitely works for these types of characters. So the ending is super dark. It leaves you feeling pretty bad, but you, but you understand why it needs. Because be- okay, who, what, what was Kevin Spacey? He was, uh, he, uh, he was revenge. Oh yeah, it was revenge, right? It was, yeah, and so yeah, the- yeah, he was, um, he was, he was, he was envy. Remember? Oh, he was envy. He right? was envy, and he got killed by Wrath. Like, like, like oh he, yeah, he killed he killed Grand Foucher because he envied her, and he got killed oh. because of Grand Pitt's Wrath. Wrath, or okay, um, yeah, and that's. And you see how long we've talked about how this is actually good stuff, and even though I personally think that there's just a lot of standard cops up that Fincher elevated, I can still see the good stuff they did here. But I would just um, we talked we talked about this for a while now. Say some good things about the characters and the little things. Say, I, well, hey, what's their name? Do I do I <laughs> do I have to? Could you give me one name? Um, no, I'm trying to look up who, who wrote who played the little thing. 
Um, Who wrote what? Oh, uh, Zodiac? I mean, no, seven, seven was written by... Um, Andrew, Kevin Walker. Andrew and Kevin. I'm pretty sure what this is... I'm pretty sure this is a temp script. And what a temp script is, is it's a script that is made by a person who's not in the industry. Mm-hmm. And it's a script that just gets sent around. And that's what happened. When Fitcher saw this project, um, got this project, he just he just came off of Alien 3 which was notorious because, of course, it was a bad movie, but it was also majorly majorly interrupted by studios trying to... They didn't want... They kind of do what Marvel's kind of doing right now, mm-hmm. where they don't want a director with artistic integrity. A they lot of the time, they want somebody... They want a puppet that they mm-hmm. can control. And Fincher's the furthest thing. Yeah, and Fincher's the furthest thing from that. And so he came off of Alien 3, and then he said... I think he said he'd rather die of colon cancer <laughs> than direct another film. And then... uh I think it was New Line or somebody sent him the script and the guy who wrote the script, you know, he he had wrote it, the head in the box ending and everything like that. But the studio was like, no, that's too dark. We don't want that. And so they he, they had him write a new script and they accidentally sent Fincher the old script and Fincher was like, oh, I have to do this one. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to do this other one. And it's crazy, especially coming from a temp script because the film is insanely brilliant like what i wrote down in one of my notes was that the what is something hilarious what the guy that the guy that played the gluttony victims the writer he wrote himself (laughs) he wrote himself to be the fat piece of crap go on um what I wrote in my notes is the movie doesn't just have themes that it preaches. The movie itself is the embodiment of the message trying to preach. And that's what good movies, I feel like, do. Like some movies, because if you read in screenwriting books, you have your plot and then you have your theme. And then that's how you're supposed to write it. But I think the best movies, they do everything in their power to make it to where their theme is expressed visually, uh, auditorily, audioly. Um. I, I don't, musically <laughs> and in the performance and the visuals it, they do everything and this is that's why i mentioned or that's why we mentioned the dark gloomy cyberpunk almost-esque um kind of just uh of the city you know it's in like the way yeah yeah, uh, yeah it's a neo-noir and it's expressed in in the music. It's expressed in everything. We are doing everything to to not talk about the little things. We are doing everything we can to keep the discussion on seven. I don't know. I started taking notes about. Let, let me read my notes for okay, the so little things. The little things was written by John Lee Hancock. Also, he directed it. I think that he saw because. The ending of the little things goes like this. Jared Little's character is a crime aficionado, and he's kind of like admitting to the crime. They already think it was him, and so they like kind of like drive him out to where he says the victims are, and he just annoys Rami Malik enough. He just like taunts him enough to make Rami like hit him with a shovel and kill him. Yeah, which is like I honestly, it just felt like which no which, and then the real the real part that I think Johnny Hancock was super proud of is <laughs> everything that happened afterwards. Uh, Denzel Washington, because Denzel Washington's character, the main character, he he apparently shot a woman a long time ago, which we learn right at the end there. Mm-hmm. He apparently shot a woman a long time ago, and the police covered it up for him. Could be interesting. Just gets, but it's just the most phoned in there. The, the ending felt phoned in in a way because you can tell he one ended this way. But every single thing that was important to the ending 
Denzel Washington's past got just thrown in there. The red, the the like red, like red bone. Like, yeah, the, um, the, the the red bonnet. The red yeah. bone was just that was so obvious. Like, if you find a red bonnet, tell me. And so that got so so. Um, by the way, um, Denzel, I, gonna... Denzel Washington goes back into uh, Jared Leto's character's uh, house and yeah, and, and he brings it all to Ryan Malik and he says, "I found a red bow to make Ryan Malik thinks he killed the killer." But he actually bought the store, and Jared Leto wasn't really the killer. Yeah, so, you're gonna, you're not the go because we did not talk about the plot of the little things at right. all. So you're so, gonna, you have to go back. And oh, you're right. The little so the plot of uh, of seven is um, two killers uh, investigating this man who is killing people by um, with, with like the seven deadly sins as like his motivation, like the the, the metaphor, the metaphoric way he's doing it. Yeah, two. in the little in the little things, um, Denzel Washington's character is a. He used to be a big detective. Now he's a small town one. And Rami Malek is a new up-and-coming detective that everybody likes. And they work together to try and find that this killer who's apparently killed a lot in the past. And while they're doing it, Jared Leto's character is incredibly suspicious and, and is, is incredibly like out there. And is incredibly like a crime guy. No, Jared but, Leto's character isn't just suspicious. You know how like... What what does he have tattooed on his forehead in Suicide Squad? Broken. Yeah, he might as well put serial killer in this movie. <laughs> so, he is the so, most so, obvious killer. Exactly. So Jared Leto's character is like claiming to be the killer like in every way they can, but they, they don't really have proof. So they're just trying to figure out who's the killer, but they can't really arrest Jared Leto, even though Jared Leto so obviously wants to. Get let arrested. me let me read you the note. I had like I had like probably like three paragraphs worth of notes for for or for seven. I had two sentences here for, for little things. Two sentences. And I, I like literally gave up 10 minutes and I was so bored. Here's my two notes. Opening similar to Texas Chainsaw. Scenes moving too quickly along. No real suspense. Truck pulling up and it fading to title card. Very Fincher-esque. Zodiac and Minor. You yeah. remember? That was so, that was it, so like Fincher. It's so like the opening scene, it was like a poor man's Zodiac Yeah, opening. it really was. Because Zodiac was shot at nighttime also, and this killer stalking mm -hmm. her, her in a car that gets out of his car. Zodiac was, that opening scene was super That, shot. that opening scene, like, it, it, Zo Fincher knew how to direct light in the dark, but Hancock, I don't, usually, I call, I, I, when I talk about good directors, I always start using the last name. I, I've been saying John Lee Hancock, this guy, so long. Let's call him John, he doesn't deserve our respect. <laughs> so this guy, John, just shot it. He didn't even, nothing very special. And the ending was just trying so hard to be complex. The ending, they, they focus on, like, oh my gosh, he, he made Rami Malek think that he got the killer, even though he didn't. And it's like, I don't care even a little bit. That's that's the thing for me, like with some movies, like some like, you know, classic respected art house films. Uh, you know, I, I'll see sometimes that they have a point that they're trying to make. But I'm just like, I just don't care. Yeah. I don't care. I know that there's a point. I know that I'm going to appreciate the film more. But the film didn't grab me enough. The journey to yeah. get to that ending wasn't even a little bit worth it. Because by the end, once you get to it, it barely works with the rest of the film and, and, and plus so plus funny. it sucks when you get to it because they're playing upbeat music yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so and we're comparing this my i have issues with seven script i think that the end that the final 20 minutes i thought it's a little long every it, it drags on a bit too long i think the final 20 minutes are really freaking final 20 minutes are, are amazing really but like everything before that felt like 
I felt it was from neo-noir that I'd seen before. Just extremely elevated by Fincher. I, 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 felt, I, felt, I felt that this was just a stepping stone to Zodiac. Yeah, I think that Fincher... If it wasn't for Fincher's direction, I know I wouldn't like stuff as much as I do right mm-hmm. now. Because the script, the script got great, but it took a while for me before mm-hmm. it got great. But, and if it wasn't for Fincher directing the hell out of every scene before that, I know I would have disassociated. I'm just, I just, I'm a person, I, I rewatched Mindhunter recently just mm-hmm. because I love the way that Fincher directs yeah. so much. I just, I love his shot composition. His, it, like the way that he directs and blocks and edits, it's, it's kind of like, it's like watching art for like a Hayao Miyazaki film. Mm-hmm. Like he's the guy who did Spirited Away and, my neighbor to- my neighbor Totoro and it's like it's like it's like watching art and I yeah. just like watch I like when the scene certain... cuts to this and the shot cuts to this it's like, just like if, a, if we're talking about a film's visual at best it could be frame after frame of a gorgeous painting yeah and that's something that you're I think that's um I, I the Coens of course do that for me it feels like art I've seen in my grandparents house people some someone like Michael Mann could even even accomplishes yeah. that like super well in heat Fincher does that so often. There's scene. There's yeah. not like one. I, I I watched Zodiac recently with my grandpa, and I'm just like, that's a film that makes me want to get up and make a movie. I just you could feel yeah. him putting so much passion behind the camera. It's it's the same thing with Roger Deakins mm-hmm. for me in Sicario. That like highway sequence. It's not just the fact that every shot looks like you know a painting almost. It's I enjoy the cuts. Mm-hmm. I enjoy how this cut goes to this cut. I enjoy how this scene goes to this scene. I enjoy what it means for what they're trying to say. And it's, it's, I just enjoy, like, there's very few filmmakers that you can enjoy a whole lot just by watching a scene picked out of a movie. Mm -hmm. And it's like Roger Deakins is one of those people where, like, I can watch it and I feel like I get the same built, like I get the same feeling, like it's its own mini story. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. Each scene is its own mini story and I feel mm-hmm. like I'm fulfilled by watching it. And in the, and, and then I watch, and I just the script behind the little things, everything about the little things, it's not just boring, it's uninspired. It's something that I watch it and every single thing felt like the person behind it was working that day. It didn't feel like they got it. They were like, "Hey, I'm looking forward to go to 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 go work on the little things." It felt like, "All right, I'm off. I'm off to be. I'm, I'm off to, to be the head lighting assistant. I'm off, I'm off. I'm off to shoot. Who's this? Yeah, I don't know. The center who the guy the guy that shot the little things is like. Yeah, I, this I, is the movie you leave off your resume. Yeah. This this and um this and Snow White and the Huntsman, which I believe he also shot. But well, now I got no. Otherwise, I just otherwise I just ruined that man's career. Okay, he did not shoot that, but he did shoot the Fifty Shades of Grey movies. So pretty good. I mean, I I, I can't say. I bet those movies are phenomenal uh, visually. Yeah. Now there now there's some. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I've never I'm, seen them. I'm sorry, school board. So um, I would. There's some other miscellaneous things that are just kind of unrelated to like each of those categories. I just want to say about the little things. I think um. I would like everybody to to know, uh, listening to this, uh, Spike Lee made a film uh, called The Five Bloods. I had some issues with it, but my fa- it came out last year. My favorite performance of the entire year was this guy, Delroy Lindo, who played such an amazing supporting role in that. And it was one of the most great. Was, I was emotional. And I felt like Oliver Stone even said, I felt like I was watching Bogart when I was watching it. Yeah, I felt. Jared Leto was nominated for the Golden Globe over him. 
in the movie. I don't even know what the Golden Globes criteria is because the movie came out this year. Maybe since it's the Hollywood Foreign Press, they don't understand English and they're just like guessing. They've had Ricky Gervais host like five times in a row, so that wouldn't be a shock. But I loved Delroy Lindo's performance because it's kind of rare. Like you'll see like a good performance like from Denzel or Morgan Freeman, but it's kind of rare that you see such an emotional heartfelt performance mm-hmm. of an elderly black man you know going going through the motions and i it just felt very refreshing because it's like I, I always say this but marvel made 20 movies in a row with a white male protagonist now take throw diversity out of there that's just boring like you want to do everything that you can to have the most interesting characters that you can have michael and- is black by the way <laughs> Hey, uh, wait, you noticed? <laughs> no, no, I'm saying this so they know, since you're speaking, you're speaking with, like, some, like, credibility yeah. there. <laughs> I, I imagine me saying, that, like, man, I'm so sick of these white guys everywhere. I just, imagine me as a white guy saying, like, it's so, I never see an old black guy doing that good. But, but no, that'd be fair if you said that, but it's, it's, it is rare, and it's, like, I feel like, I literally wrote this, if Mr. Rayfield listens to this, I literally wrote this in one of, like, the papers or whatever that I that I sent to him or that I turned in and how I talk about, like, the even the tiniest things you can do, or it's really not that tiny, but, like, changing somebody's race can make can make the story so much different. Like, I, I, I watch certain films, like Japanese films or, you know, Korean films, and I feel like had this bit, like, I've literally, uh, I was watching Garden of the Woods, which was... Uh, directed by uh, Makoto Shinkai. Not Garden, of, not Garden of Words. Wait, is it is it Garden of of Words? Wait, wait, are you thinking? I'm talking about an anime. An yeah, anime. an anime. I'm talking. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah, thinking. I, I'm, oh, oh, by I, the guy who did your name. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. that's a fantastic. That's a fantastic yeah. short. Um, story. I was. It's not I was short, like forty minutes. Yeah, so. it's forty five minutes. I was watching that, and I literally turned from. I'm I'm not one of those people who does this, but I turned from subbed to dubbed. Or I turned from dub to subbed because mm-hmm. I literally couldn't take like the the voice actors. I just I could tell that they were they were butchering it, yeah. and it's like sometimes little things like that can make can give you a different look on the film. And I just enjoyed Delroy Lindo's performance so much because it's 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 a performance that you don't usually see from a person that you mm-hmm. wouldn't expect it from. So, and then someone like Jared Leto. Definitely was, I think, trying a little bit. It just didn't work. So I want to, like, in conclusion, I think my <laughs> ultimate statement on Seven is Seven was made by a bunch of people who actually cared. They, the, mm-hmm. the writer, like, I, I, I like, so I looked in the room. The writer, like, wrote that thing on, like, his old computer because it's all he had. Uh, David Fincher found that after, like, right after Alien 3. Had to put everything in the save. He was going to quit. He was going to yeah, quit filmmaking. Uh, Morgan Freeman was trying to. Brad Pitt put such emotion into it. it was Gwyneth Paltrow in the three scenes that she was in. Yeah, she at every single three scenes, she was trying a lot. Yeah. Her, her head emoted so much in that box. <laughs> Kevin Spacey was doing really good. I, I do not support Kevin Spacey still. <laughs> I was going to say something else. <laughs> and... And something like The Little Things is an example of a film where it's a film, but it's hard to say that that's cinema, as Scorsese would say. It's funny because it is, it's original, right? Like it's an original. Yeah, he wrote it on his own. It's, it's not based off of anything. It's like, it's kind of like I support original new ideas 
except for that one. Mm-hmm, <laughs> he should have mm-hmm. just kept his mouth so, shut. So, so I believe, so I, I believe, I believe that's that's the podcast. If there's anything, um, whatever, whatever my next episode will be, whatever two films that are kind of similar, whether it's a remake or they're just similar, you just tell me. I'll I'll, I'll consider it. And if you want Michael back, just tell me uh, because it's not his decision. Wait, we forgot we forgot to cover this one thing. What? Christopher Nolan said that cinema is in jeopardy. And uh, movie theaters are at risk for closing down because of Lil Uzi Vert's $24 million <laughs> forehead diamond. Do you agree with that statement? Find out next episode. <laughs>